Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the Gospel Rant. Again, I'm Dr. Bill Sinyard, the president of Gospel App Ministries, uh, gospel-app.com. Thank you for your feedback. You know what? We're trying to raise the bar on dialogue uh, by this critical message of Jesus where he says, don't judge. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Look, no judgment for me. But in our lingo today, we could say, don't cancel me, right? I think this is very relevant. That's why we title it Jesus and Cancel Color. Here's Harper's Bazaar magazine. Although we might have felt ourselves judging others more swiftly or being judged more harshly during the pandemic... The reality is that we've always been a judgmental society, for better or for worse. The current circumstances have just made it more obvious. There are rules, both tacit and explicit, that we live by. But now, with the government's guidelines laid out mostly clearly, it's easier to call out those who aren't adhering to them. We're all guilty of it. Perhaps you were among those who complained about Jane from next door going on two runs a day during the beginning of lockdown. Or perhaps you have fallen out with a loved one over the perceived lockdown deficiencies. Perhaps you have shared an angry social media post about crowded beaches and parks. Perhaps you have ranted to your partner or friends after seeing people sitting too close to each other in public spaces. Perhaps you have grimaced at that jocker who sped by you a bit too close. Perhaps you have felt paranoid by what others might think as you enjoy your takeaway drink in the sunshine, regardless of whether you're acting within the guidelines. Spying on others has become our new national hobby. <laughs> oh my goodness, that's that's almost funny. Uh, but look, I know churches that have been shredded over the vaccination issue, right? Uh, judgment. And and I'm not saying that there wasn't room for dialogue, but come on, it, right? Uh, come on. Don't, don't push me on this one. Uh, both sides. I'm not, I'm not taking sides here. I'm saying both sides. It, it split churches. Oh my goodness. Look, I think it's safe to say people are judging more today and feeling more judged today. It's not new. It's pretty human. And Jesus says, stop it. <laughs> right? So Christians, come on. How's it going for us? So anyway, we're going to take our first break and get right back into the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7-1, after a word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Okay. Welcome back. Jesus says in Matthew 7-1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. So in this section... 
7, 1 to 6, Jesus is doing what Jesus has done on a previous occasion in the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's a rhetorical approach. Remember, he said, you have heard it was written, don't murder. But I'm saying, don't even be angry. <laughs> Good luck. Don't commit adultery. But I say, don't lust. Yeah, good luck. You know, you've heard it say, don't break an oath, but I say, don't even make one. You have heard, love your neighbor. I say, love your enemy. And you get the rhetorical strategy, right? We should be used to it in the Sermon on the Mount. And again, at the beginning, I said, this has been so overlooked, but this is the way to read the Sermon on the Mount. And here it is. If you were to grade yourself based upon the popular interpretation of Torah back then, maybe you get you know, 80%, 90%, you're not getting kill anybody. Well, maybe some of you have. Welcome, by the way. Uh, but, you know, when Jesus is done, you drop from 80% to F minus. And remember what we said, the great teacher is driving everyone, everyone, the people on the hillside, the poor in spirit, but also the Pharisees and Sadducees and Romans who were there, including the most righteous successfully righteous on that hillside, and he's driving us to our knees. Because if we get it, if we're listening, the right question is, well, then who can pull this off? Who can really please God? Who might God look down upon and say, well done, good and faithful servant? Or, or like, this, like the disciple said, who then can be saved? Well, the answer is this, and here's, the, here's where we should land. We should do these things, but we just can't seem to do it. We won't do it. Historically, we haven't, and not enough. So we need a savior. We need a rescuer, not just once. We need an ongoing rescuer. And remember the last podcast, stop worrying. Stop being anxious again. Really? Good luck with that. Now, don't get me wrong. You may be less anxious than some. I mean, I've known people who were chronically anxious. Uh, you may be more anxious than others, no judgment, but don't be anxious. Jesus, come on. And look, how's it going? And now Jesus does it again. Stop judging others. Now, don't be fooled. He's using a pretty generic Greek word here. There are so many stronger Greek words for condemning and shaming and bullying and canceling. This is a don't do or think or say anything that isn't rooted in honoring and loving someone else. Don't tear anybody down. Don't knock anybody down a notch. So here we go. Are you a pro-vaxxer? How have you felt about the anti-vaxxers and vice versa? How have you treated them? How have you looked at them? What, what emotions bubbled up? Man, this, this Greek word would fit that. I'm just saying, no judgment. <laughs> you may not even know them, and yet you shook your head to one degree and you, you felt condemnation towards them or despised them or felt angry towards them. Churches have been split over this. Really? And Jesus says, don't do it. And I know you're thinking, yeah, but... <laughs> you know, he could have thrown it into the, you have heard... But I say format, you know, you have heard, don't shame, don't bully, don't crush your reputation of, don't condemn, don't despise, don't make others despise someone. But I say, don't judge them. Don't even look at them as scants. Make, don't even make them feel small or wrong. Don't isolate them. Don't build walls. Don't stop dialogue. Don't stop listening. Don't stop honoring each other. <sighs> but come on. 
I get it. We're humans. Who listening has never felt judgment towards another human being <laughs> recently, uh, today? Uh, we, we just you know, went through a very bitter, destructive election campaign in the United States. I mean, innuendos, lies, unfair accusations, cover-ups, rumors, reputations, deflections. I mean, did you get caught up in it a little? I, I did, right? So are you judging President Biden or are you judging the former President Trump? It's so easy because everybody seems to be doing it. Do you imagine that Jesus is not referring to politics here? <laughs> no, and, and no judgment for me. Like I said, me too. It's very human. It's brain science. Here's Harper's Bazaar again. Judging others can be addictive. Dopamine hits. Hey, it can feel good. We enjoy that feeling of moral superiority and feeling like we're a good person or the one in the right. It gives our self-image a boost, gives reassurance, and provides all kinds of positive emotional and psychological benefits. Although there can be some negative consequences too, people also typically enjoy both winning and feeling powerful or successful. These often coincide, particularly when the issue is one of intergroup conflict. Now, unsurprisingly, the impact that judgment can have on the person being judged is also pretty damning, Harper's Bazaar says. It can be destroying. It can impact people's self-esteem, and it can also tap into any shame processes that might exist anyway from an accumulated experience of growing up, perhaps from being bullied or experiences in relationships that can be then re-triggered. It can be hugely damaging. We all have different levels of fragility and resilience, so some people have a thicker skin and might have found a way of letting it bounce off them. But as a whole, humans need to feel valued, to feel safe, and to feel as if they live in a way that's accepted and not judged by others, close quote. So Jesus is just saying, pretty clear, don't look at another person critically. I mean, you can disagree, but respectfully and listening and honoring. I mean, we all know how to, we've all been told how to do it, probably. We've all seen examples of how to do it better than us, right? But it's so human, particularly during stressful times. Judgment's everywhere. Matthew 7, 2. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, this is not just a wisdom aphorism, like Proverbs. He's going back to the rhetorical approach he used in the Lord's Prayer. Do you remember? Father, forgive me as much as I forgive other people. <laughs> and remember, we, we, I said, you definitely don't want that. Really? You know, God, I'm saying, please forgive me far more than I've forgiven other people. And here's Jesus again. God, please don't judge me like I judge others. I need you, God, to treat me with honor and respect and fairly and justly. I, I want to be honored by you, God. <laughs> Jesus is setting us up. He's knocking. He's bringing us to our knees. Because somewhere in the back of our mind, we're going, oops. Verse 7-3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyes and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's one of the most familiar and most preached sections here. As a matter of fact, in the entire Sermon on the Mount, it makes sense. It's a good warning. And yet, 
Still, we don't do it. I mean, not very well. We do it every now and then. But in general, do you think Christians are noted for this? <laughs> no. We should, but we won't. We should, but we don't. And it would seem that we're so broken in our brains. The attachment theorists call them inner working models. It's the, the things that drive our behavior subconsciously. Ah, we just can't seem to do it. Here's commentator Frederick Dale Bruner. An excessive eagerness to help others is also questioned by Jesus here. Come here, I'll get rid of that sawdust in your eye. Can categorize a missionary consciousness in helping younger churches or deeper Christian counseling, less mature Christians, correcting what may indeed be false, but perhaps the missionary's log that he or she does not see is the log of fault-finding itself. The disease of the critical spirit, the 2020 vision into the faults of others, gifted persons are often unable to see that their very gift is their problem. Their perceptiveness about everything except themselves is what is resented because these great big bears of helpfulness can't smell their own breath or see their own matted fur. Only convalescing eyes help others. Only wounded healers have the right to heal. Uh, that's from now and uh, and listen, you know, I, I can I can testify. So I was on my denomination's revitalization task force. We would go around to churches and, you know, spend some time in the church and with the leaders and with the people. And and we would be taking note of of things they're doing that are hindering their proposed vision. I mean, they've said, here's here's our goal. Here's our mission. Here's our here's our vision. And you know how it is. We just start doing the same old, same old things. So we go in and, and we're able to see because we're looking for, if you will, faults, things that hinder their vision, their mission. Now, I've got to be able to turn that off when I go to church, uh, right? Because I've been taught to have this missionary consciousness that is actually preventing me from loving and honoring uh, churches and, 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 you know, worshiping God. And so I'm learning to turn that off. Um, it's it's just natural. <laughs> I'm helping, right? Well, look, all of these things are, it, one of the problems is our leaders aren't doing this. I mean, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, Fox, CNN, CBS, Cancel Culture, Christians, Gay, Binary, Men, Women, Whites, Blacks, Immigrants. I mean, who's, who's doing this speck in your eye, plank in your eye thing? Where is it being modeled, particularly for youth? Today, with the help of internet, Judging others is everywhere and, and extremely destructive. No matter what you think about cancel culture, it's in the news. Here's one blogger. Unfortunately, canceling often turns into bullying. Like bullying, if you've been canceled, you may feel ostracized, socially isolated, and lonely. And research shows that loneliness is associated with higher anxiety, depression, suicide rates. If you're canceled, it can also feel as if every one is giving up on you before you've even had the chance to apologize, let alone change your behavior. Instead of creating a dialogue to help you understand how your actions hurt others, the canceler shut off all communication, essentially robbing you of the opportunity to learn and grow from your mistakes. You see what they're saying is if the cancel culture's desire, if you will, their want is to change behavior, how it's typically done, the criticizing, the canceling, the cutting off, the uh, making you look bad, that's not going to change behavior. Psychology Today adds, 
cancel culture is undeniably toxic when it involves criminal threats, invasion of privacy, right, doxing, or driving a person to suicide. People might wish to believe it will affect positive social change. The nature of so many comments on social media seems to indicate otherwise. Nastiness, schadenfreude, and dismissive characterizations of opposing opinions substitute for dialogue. Internet platforms are structured to get a payout from high emotion and clickability. Canceling and calling out posts fits perfectly into that paradigm. Commenting is instantly rewarding, and nasty and demeaning comments aimed at trolls or deplorables allow commenters to feel morally and intellectually superior. The act of canceling is self-sealing as it protects the commenters from considering opposing opinions and critiquing their own position. Yeah. Verse 6. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then in turn tear you, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Yeah. Um... Wait, this would be a good time to uh, to check with our sponsors. Oh, by the way, Jesus is not talking about spending money on our sponsors. I want to make that clear. God forbid. But this is a good time to take a break. We'll come back to Pigs and Pearls in a moment. Hey, welcome back. The idea in 7-6, right, don't give dogs what is sacred, is in our zeal, we often don't take the time to read the room. We don't pay attention we we don't we're not honoring people enough to look at the room and go hmm i wonder what people need or or their language or their concerns their triggers in our good enough parent online we let beat up parents understand that it's often a bad, very bad idea to try to reason with their teens by the way almost most of the time and here's why their marys and bobbies and fredericks their prefrontal cortices are not online yet they're not thinking rationally or thinking long-term consequences or how their actions affect others. So when a parent then takes a breath and tries to reason with their child, it gets worse. It, it can cause, and usually does, it, their child to actually trigger. And why? Because it's not reading the room. Subconsciously, their child's brain is asking two questions. Like a non-stop drumbeat. And here's the first one. Is there anyone out there for me who has my back, no matter what, no matter what I feel? And two, is there anyone out there who really, really loves me as I am with all my faults, all my failures, all my confusion, right? With all the swirling hormones and critical inner voices and, and mushy, confusing relationships and sexuality issues, social media, often the teen doesn't feel good about either question. So they need, per one child psychologist, quote, every child needs at least one adult who is irrationally crazy about him or her. And, you know, ideally that's the parent or caregiver. So we teach parents in Good Enough Parent Online to how to be irrationally crazy about their child in their context. And so if a parent can creatively make three out of 10 interactions with their child get that message that you are indeed irrationally crazy about them for your child and your context, you'll be surprised the difference that will make. Over time, the overreactions will diminish a little, and it should be noticeable. Again, uh, look, if you're a parent of teen or tween, if you know a a Christian parent of teen or tween, get them to goodenoughparent.online. It's free. (laughs) It's been fully funded by gracious donors. Please come benefit from it. You register 
and we send you 15 10-minute tips, one a day for 15 days. We do before and after survey, so you see where there's been movement. It's, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a good deal out there. Merry Christmas. <laughs> and until then, Christian parents, you're just throwing pearls to pigs. So Jesus is saying that it's not just about judging. You know, pigs love judging. They, they know how to play that game. They're used to pig slop, uh, trying cleaning it up a little bit. It justifies their pigness. And you know what? They're not good at a lot of things, but they're really good at that. And there's an upward spiral of pig slop. And Jesus is saying that our passion should be changing pigs. Yes, that's different. Honoring pigs, that's different. So if you honor a pig, if you listen to a pig, if you show respect to a pig, that's, that's, that's something. The word used solely of God honoring movement towards pigs in the Greek is splagnizomai. You've heard me talk about it before. It's often translated compassion. But it is more than that. It's what motivated the prodigal father to shamefully run to his stinky son and hug and restore him to pre-blow up honor. It was the power and the gut of the Good Samaritan that caused him to move toward the, the man victimized by robbers when others wouldn't. So it's not just stop judging. Jesus has been saying it's about starting treating people the way you wanted to be treated by them. Right back to vaxxers versus non-vaxxers, Republicans or Democrats, whites or uh, or, or brown, or or black, or straight, or gay, men or women. It's about honoring. How? Well, we ask the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's where we source this honor. This it's God. We source it from Him. We ask Him to give us God's splagnizomai for ourselves, so we feel it, and then give it to us for others. So we funnel it for others, and then we go and do what this new motivation, this new heart drives us to do, a little or a lot. And by the way, don't try to do this on your own. <laughs> good luck with that. Uh, good, yeah, I can't say any more nicely. Uh, and no judgment. You need God's powerful DNA kicking in your system, just like me. And that's your new superpower. It's never yours. It's always God's through you. So, so stop doing God with, without it. And this takes wisdom. See, there is the right thing to do and to say, and then there's the right time and context. And... and how you say it. And all of this, there's the matter of trust and credibility. Have you read the room? Are you being sensitive to the motivations, to the facts, to the histories, to the stuff behind the scene? Have you spent enough time uh, to understand it, your audience, the people that you're supposed to honor? How can you honor if you don't know them? Are you aware of your own motivation and blind spots? Right? There's a reason we call them blind spots. For parents, we often take situations with our teens and tweens so personally. Um, you know, my, my child's reaction casts shade on my ability as a parent or, or even a person. And so we try to write things for the wrong reason without being aware and often cause more harm than good. Here's blogger Paul Nowak. Uh, I like this. I'm going to add this. Uh, there is a right way and a wrong way to give counsel, admonition, to correct someone. I think there's some really good advice here. Surprisingly, one of the most detailed, he says, and, and helpful passages I've ever read on the topic comes from the Hagakure, the, the book of the samurai. And here it is. To give a person one's opinion and to correct his faults is an important thing. It's compassionate and comes first in matters of service. But the way of doing this is extremely difficult. 
to discover the good and bad points of a person is an easy thing, and to give an opinion concerning them is easy too. For the most part, people think that they are being kind and by saying things that others find distasteful or difficult to say. But if it is not received well, they think that there is nothing more to be done. Well, this is completely worthless. It is the same as bringing shame to a person by slandering him. It is nothing more than getting it off one's chest. To give a person an opinion, one must first judge well whether that person is of the disposition to receive it or not, right? Pearls and swine. One must become close with him and make sure he continually trusts one's word. Approaching subjects that are dear to him, seek the best way to speak and to be well understood. Judge the occasion and determine whether it is better by letter or by the time of leave-taking. Praise his good points and use every device to encourage him, perhaps by talking about one's own faults without touching on his, but so that they will occur to him. Have him receive this in the way that a man would drink water when his throat is dry, and it will be an opinion that will correct faults. This is extremely difficult. If a person's fault is a habit of some years prior, by and large, it won't be remedied. I have had this experience myself. To be intimate with all one's comrades, correcting each other's faults, and being of one mind to be of use to the master is the great compassion of a retainer. By bringing shame to a person, how could one expect to make him a better man? Uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in there, and it it's kind of fits with what Jesus was saying. Our desire should be to become better men and women and to enter into dialogue so that others would become better men and women. Not just to get our stuff off off our chest um, or to fix them, right? That's the stuff of the Spirit. It requires a new motivation. Remember, to, to, to really get the message out, God actually incarnated into humanity. We celebrated that at Christmas a couple weeks ago. So lastly, ironically, there is a time for casting pearls before swine. So Jesus says, don't do it. But, you know, it's rhetorical teaching. There is a time for casting pearls before swine, and that was Jesus's calling. Right? Jesus says don't, but that's the very thing the incarnation was all about. God was throwing pearls to swine. That's us. Jesus intentionally loved and entered into an ancient cancel culture. It won't be long before the powers that be canceled him. They could do it because they could. They did it because that is the culture. The Jews were canceling the non-Jews and the unrighteous. The zealots were trying to cancel the Romans. The Essenes were trying to cancel the Sadducees and the temple worship. Herod, he was, he was paranoid. He was trying to cancel everybody. The only difference is that they didn't have internet. They were an immense cancel culture. Well, God, out of that splagnitzomai, right, he intentionally came to throw the pearls of the gospel, his own son, to people who deserve judgment, to pigs. When he found them, we were in a pig slop. He could have come to judge them. That would have been okay, right? I mean, universally. Instead, he took our judgment and endured being canceled. So Jesus is saying, again, tongue-in-cheek, rhetorical Judaism, What a foolish thing it is to give such good news to such hateful, broken, judgmental people. They're just going to trample it and won't benefit from it. But that's exactly what he did and they did. Still, Jesus didn't come to judge, but to save, to rescue, though it cost him. His love will, his love is more powerful. It can break into the bitter, angry, judgmental, canceling hearts and minds of those people, of us. 
He came to absorb judgment so that we could access honor and the power and the motivation to want to honor others. And finally, when all that happens, when we have a new heart, when the Spirit of God is in our inner being and doing His thing, we are not only feel loved, Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, not judged by God, accepted, not rejected, not stuck under a nasty microscope for all of our shortcomings to be exposed and observed by God. The only canceling is going to be our sinful record and, and the justice that we were due. So bottom line, like everything else in the Sermon on the Mount, stop judging. <laughs> but you will. It's your broken brain. It's the broken culture. You will try to cancel. You may do it kindly. You may not. But you're going to despise and criticize. It's part of your inner working models and your subconscious. And honoring others, yeah, uh, that's harder. But good news, the spirit in you has the DNA of Jesus. The more you are in sync with him, the less you're going to want to judge and cancel. It should be observable. The more you will feel like treating others with respect and honor. Not perfectly this side of heaven, but again, should be noticeable. That's, of course, how you want God to treat you, Jesus says. All right. Well, we're going to pick it up next time as Jesus tells us the secret of being a good and successful disciple. Don't worry. It's something that we can all do. I mean, this is kind of the... One of the pinnacles of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of where Jesus stops and sums it up. He's going to do it at the end with the parable of the two soils, the, uh, the house built on the sand and built on the rock. But here it is. It's going to be coming. That's next time. Don't miss it. Uh, and listen, in the, in the meantime, in prep for the next podcast, try really, really, really hard to not be anxious and to stop judging. <laughs> Love to hear how that goes. Bill at gospel-app.com. And then, yeah, maybe you'll come with open arms a little more. No judgment. And you'll see the method to our madness. Okay? Next time is the one overlooked secret to being a successful disciple. Can't wait. Thanks again to Life Audio for their support of this podcast. Check out the other podcast on their website, lifeaudio.com. Take heart, child of God. Hey, everybody. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And we're hosts of the Kynos Project podcast. Where we help you tackle ancient Christian truths in everyday settings. The word Kynos means new, and that's exactly what we want to do on our podcast. Bring something new from what is old in our faith. And on this show, you might hear us explore topics like what the Bible has to say about student loan forgiveness, discuss how the satanic temple affects our view of religious liberty in America, or even question why is it that so many people are having rapture anxiety. To learn more about the podcast, go to lifeaudio.com.